0: Began following God's wisdom by finding his wisdom in his son, by giving up yourself and your way and saying, I'm going to be his disciple, his follower.
1: Welcome to the Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What does it mean to be a true follower of Christ? And how do you tell the difference between godly wisdom and earthly human wisdom? Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part three of a series titled Wisdom from Hell versus Wisdom from Heaven, looking at the subject of wisdom as outlined in James chapter 3. Think about this. The Bible says that if you take advantage of having God's standard to God's thoughts and to God's wisdom, you are considered wise. But if you refuse to measure yourself against that very standard of the wisdom of God, then God himself in his word says that you are a fool. Friend, which one are you? And if uncertain, how can you know for certain? Keep that in mind as we join Tom right now on The Word Unleashed.
0: Perhaps you remember from college, or from reading at some point, the parable of the Greek philosopher Aristotle's fish. In that parable, he reminded us that the very last way to discover what it's like to be wet is to ask a fish, because a fish has no point of comparison. If you want to know what it's like to be wet, ask someone who's normally dry, but who has experienced wet. You know, on the surface, that seems like a fairly simple parable, and yet it's really quite profound when you consider it. And in fact, it provides a sort of rich insight into our problems, both as human beings as well as Christians. For example, you and I have no way of ourselves to properly evaluate the culture in which we live. That's because we're a part of it. Just as a fish is wet and part of the ocean and can't really evaluate wetness, you and I as part of our culture don't have the capacity to really evaluate it because it's part and parcel of who we are. It surrounds us. I've often prayed that God would allow me to live and think outside of my times. One way to accomplish that, by the way, C.S. Lewis suggested was to read outside of our times because then the The sort of fresh breezes of other ages come sweeping across our souls and allow us to compare where we are and our culture is with where cultures have been in the past. We also have no certain way in ourselves to evaluate our own lives because we live our lives. We are surrounded by the atmosphere of our lives and cannot therefore compare them to what they ought to be. We also have no sure way within ourselves to evaluate our thinking because our thinking has permeated our mind from the beginning and it's how we think. And to us, it appears perfectly legitimate and fine because it's how we've always thought. It's an expression of who we are. It is the ocean, if you will, of wetness in which we live. And therefore, it's impossible to really evaluate it. In the end, the only way to accurately evaluate ourselves is to measure ourselves against an objective standard, a standard outside of us. And there's only one true, reliable standard, and that is our all-wise Creator. And He has revealed to us that standard against which we can legitimately measure ourselves in His own eternal Word. And the Bible says that the man or the woman who takes advantage of having access to God's standard, to God's thoughts, to God's wisdom, is himself or herself wise. And if you refuse to measure yourself against the standard or the wisdom of God, then God says you're a fool. This is the message of James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Let's turn there together. We continue our study in this great book. Those of you who are visiting with us, it's for many months now. We have been studying this great letter, and we find ourselves at the end of James chapter 3. James was the half-brother of our Lord, raised in the home that he was raised in, probably the next oldest to Jesus. And he only at the resurrection, after the resurrection, came to embrace his half-brother as all that he claimed to be. He became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And now that his church has been scattered because of a persecution that arose, recorded for us in Acts 12, he writes this letter to these people who were at one time a part of his congregation with these very practical, profound instructions. Let me read it for you. You follow along, beginning in James chapter 3, verse 13. "'Who among you is wise and understanding?' Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now James is here clearly addressing the issue of wisdom, or specifically of two kinds of wisdom. One, we will learn, is the wisdom of heaven. The other, in opposition to it, is wisdom literally from hell itself. It is the expression of the mind of Satan, and it's rampant in the world in which we live. Last week, we began to look at this paragraph. Really, in reality, we began to look at the background of this paragraph, and we saw last week three important points that are absolutely essential to understand this paragraph or this text let me briefly review those three points with you that we discovered last week number 1 the categorical priority of wisdom the categorical priority who among you is wise and understanding beneath james question lies two huge presuppositions one is that wisdom is desirable, that every Christian should want it. And secondly, beneath that question lies the presupposition that wisdom is important. It's crucial. It's essential to the Christian life and experience. Last week, we examined in great detail the huge priority that both the Old Testament and the New Testament place on this quality of wisdom, But that brings us to the second question, or the second point, I should say, that we examined last time, and that is the biblical definition of wisdom. James uses the word there in verse 13, wise. That Greek word that's translated wise there gets its meaning from its Old Testament Hebrew twin. Last week, we learned that that Old Testament word for wisdom really consists of three essential elements. If you want to know what godly wisdom is, if you want to know what God's wisdom that you and I can possess is, it can be reduced to three essential elements. Here's a definition. Element number one, fearing God. True biblical wisdom expresses itself in a spirit of awe and reverence and respect for God. It acknowledges who God is and then lives the life in response to that knowledge. To fear God, by the way, is not simply to say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe that he made me. That's not fearing God. To fear God means to recognize who he is and then to live in light of that. To say you believe in God and then to live as if you were an atheist, to live ignoring God, is not to fear God. So wisdom, true biblical wisdom, consists in fearing God. Second basic element of wisdom, is understanding God's ways. In the Old Testament, the way, the Hebrew word for way, is a word for a well-worn path. It's the rut that's left in the road by a wagon wheel as it rolls over the same territory again and again. And so it came to speak of predictable patterns of behavior, habits, if you will, or habits of character. You and I have ways, paths that we go down again and again. They're the Patterns of behavior in our lives. Well, God himself has predictable patterns of behavior. We call them his attributes. And the wise person not only fears God, but he seeks to understand God as he's revealed himself in the word of God. To understand his predictable patterns of behavior. This is how God is. This is what he does. This is what he's like. A third basic element of wisdom, biblical wisdom. Not only do you fear God, not only do you seek to understand God and his ways, and this third one is crucial. This rounds out true biblical wisdom. To have true biblical wisdom is to have the practical skill to apply God's ways and God's words to life. You see, it's not enough just to fill your head, your brain, with information about God or to even say, yes, I fear God. There must be the effort of the whole person to take the word of God and the ways of God and apply them to how you live. Without that, it's not biblical wisdom at all. You see, biblical wisdom then, when you look at fearing God, understanding the ways of God, and then having the practical skill to apply what you know about God and what he wants to your life, Biblical wisdom is nothing more than having a genuine relationship with the true God. It is true spirituality. In the end, biblical wisdom is nothing more than being a true Christian. And without biblical wisdom, you're not a Christian at all. So that raises the third point that we looked at last time, and that is how? The practical acquisition of wisdom the practical acquisition of wisdom. Well, first and foremost, we acquire God's wisdom through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, to those who are called, Christ becomes the wisdom of God. You know, the Bible is clear that you don't get on the path to wisdom until you come in faith to Christ if you have never come to the place in your life where you have left your own path, left your own ways, and all that you want to do, and you have willingly submitted yourself to become a genuine follower of Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Master, your Savior, then the Bible says you're a fool, and you have no wisdom at all. That's where true biblical wisdom begins. In a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. We also can acquire godly wisdom, the Bible says, through a thorough knowledge of God's word. There was a passage I wanted to take you to last time, but didn't in the interest of time. I want you to go there this morning, Proverbs chapter 2. Here in Proverbs chapter 2, Solomon reminds us of this reality, that you and I gain God's wisdom. We begin to think like God. We begin to understand how it is that god acts and how we're to live in light of that from the word of god that's how we learn god's wisdom it's contained right here in these pages and solomon makes that clear starting in chapter 2 verse 1 my son if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you make your ear attentive to wisdom incline your heart to understanding For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then... Stop there. Did you notice the first four verses were the if statement? And the then statement comes in verse 5? If all of those things are true, then, verse 5, you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield of those who walk uprightly. Notice what Solomon says. You want to find God's wisdom? You search for it. You cry out for it. But where do you look? Where do you search? Notice verse 1. In words and in commandments. In verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. Ultimately, it comes from him, but... The wisdom he gives comes from his mouth. In other words, it's what he reveals in his word. Where do you get God's wisdom? You get it from his words, out of his mouth, from his commandments. That's how God gives us wisdom. He doesn't zap us with some spiritual wand. We get the wisdom of God from the mind of God as it's revealed in the word of God. And you'll never find it anywhere else. So we get it through a saving knowledge of Christ. We get it through a thorough knowledge of God's Word. Thirdly, we get it through the influence of wise companions. In other words, from the influence of others who are permeated by and influenced by the Word of God. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You hang around people who have the wisdom of God, who understand what God wants and his ways, who seek to apply his truth to their lives, and it rubs off. You hang around those who don't, and you will only become more foolish. A fourth way that we acquire godly wisdom is through prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Pray, James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And we saw it even in Proverbs chapter 2. If you're seeking wisdom, yes, go to the words of God. Go to the commands of God. Listen to the things that come from the mouth of God as they're revealed here. But then lift up your voice, cry out to God to give you understanding as you go through that process. So prayer is a crucial part of this as well. Now, those points that we looked at last week were somewhat introductory. And it's with that background that today I want us to begin to carefully examine the passage itself. Turn with me to James chapter 3, and let's look again at this passage together. Like Old Testament wisdom literature, this short paragraph is condensed wisdom, There is so much more here than a cursory reading of these verses can uncover or unpack. I have spent now probably close to 35, 40 hours studying these short verses, this one paragraph, and I'm telling you, I don't think I've plumbed the depths that are here yet. But it's my goal this morning to try to express a little of what I've learned, and we'll continue our study in this paragraph next week and perhaps the following week as well. You see, it takes much time and thought to mine the riches that are in this paragraph. You would expect that, wouldn't you, in a paragraph about wisdom, that it wouldn't be something that you could just run your eyes over the words on the page and gain all that's there? It's certainly true. A crucial question that we need to begin with as we look at this passage is, to whom is James directing these verses? Some would say that he's directing them to the teachers, mentioned back up in verse 1. He's saying, teachers, those who claim to be teachers and have a spiritual wisdom and understanding, that's who he's addressing. But I think it's much more likely that just like the section on the tongue that we have just come through, the use of our tongue, the the words that come out of our mouths, that was addressed to all of us as well as to the teachers. I think it's probably best to see this section as addressed to all the church as well. And he begins the paragraph with a simple rhetorical question. Who among you is wise and understanding? James says, all right, I want all of you in the congregation to whom I'm writing who think you have a special insight into spiritual matters to stand up and let me give you a test. I want you to carefully evaluate the reality of your claim. Do you think you have the wisdom that comes from God? Do you claim to fear God? to understand his ways and to apply his ways and his words to your life, then I want you to listen up. You know, there's a disturbing implication beneath this paragraph. James is telling us here that it is relatively easy to deceive yourself into thinking that you're living by God's wisdom, and yet in reality be pursuing a wisdom that's of the world that is unspiritual, and even, he'll say later, from hell itself. He says, I want you to examine yourself and the wisdom you think you have, the understanding of spiritual matters you think you have, the maturity in Christ you think you have. You see, there is a true biblical wisdom that comes down to us from God as it's revealed in this word The Bible claims that it is the revelation of the wisdom of God. Now, that really goes without proof, but I want to prove it to you because of the the day in which we live. Increasingly, people deny the Bible either makes that claim or deny that it's trustworthy. Let me turn with you back to Psalm 19. I, I just want you to see that There is no doubt but what the Bible makes this claim. Psalm 19, Psalm of David, and in the first six verses, David talks about the works of God in creation, God's manifold wisdom in creating the world. And then he turns in verse 7 to God's wisdom revealed in the Word of God. And he uses a series of six synonyms for God's Word, and out of each of those synonyms, he describes it with a quality or a characteristic, and then he explains how it functions, how it works. Follow along, verse 7. The law of the Lord, there's our first synonym for the Bible, is perfect, it's blameless, restoring the nephesh, the entire person. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it's, it's certain, making wise the simple. In other words, here it claims, the Bible itself claims, through the pen of David and ultimately the Holy Spirit, that it will give wisdom to us. It is God's wisdom to us. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They bring consummate joy to us. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, God's word will remove the blinders from your spiritual eyes and allow you to see the wisdom of God. The fear of the Lord is clean, and it endures forever. It isn't tied to first century. God's word is eternally settled in heaven. Not one jot or one tittle, Jesus says, not the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and not the smallest little crook, of a letter of the Hebrew alphabet will pass away until all has been fulfilled. And verse 9 says the judgments of the Lord are literally truth. They're truth. And they are altogether righteous, more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And there's nothing that you desire that's more precious than this. Now listen, we live in a culture that is a postmodern culture, and postmodern culture rejects the claim that there is absolute truth. They reject the claim that if there is absolute truth, we can know it. And so they come to the Bible with that same mindset there is today what's called in in uh, theological circles a new hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is simply a system of principles for interpreting the Bible. This new hermeneutic is called the hermeneutic of humility. And essentially it says this, well, you know, I'm too humble. I mean, who am I to say what the Bible means? What you think it means and what I think it means may both be true, neither be true. Somebody else may have it right. I'm much too humble to say this is what God says. And yet that is not at all how the scripture speaks. They are sure, they are settled, they are certain, they are eternal.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, Wisdom from Hell versus Wisdom from Heaven. Tom will have part four for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, the need for godly wisdom for each and every follower of Christ simply can't be overstated in its importance, can it?
0: That's exactly right. In the end, all as believers we know is really wise finds its source in God, and we should seek wisdom from him as the only source of all true wisdom. After all, as we're learning, there, there are things that the world says are wise that are in fact a lie. They're a lie from Satan himself. But God has given us as believers everything that we need to distinguish the lies of Satan from the truth of God and to live in true wisdom. And the only source the wisdom of God has found is in His Word. And that's where our hearts need to anchor throughout our lives here.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org.